You're listening to TIP. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this Wednesday's release of the Bitcoin Fundamentals podcast. On today's show, I have two guests. First, we have Jason Brett, who's a returning guest, Bitcoin lobbyist and member of the BTCPolicy.org. And second, we have Tyler Lindholm, who's part of Senator Lummis's staff. They're here to talk about the Lummis-Gillibrand digital asset bill that they just put before Congress. Senator Lummis is a Republican and Senator Gillibrand is a Democrat. And during this interview, I fire off a bunch of questions about what's currently in the bill, how it's being initially received in Congress, and what it might mean moving forward for potential laws and government action. We cover a lot of important topics throughout the show, and I hope you guys enjoy the chat. You're listening to Bitcoin Fundamentals by The Investors Podcast Network. Now for your host, Preston Pish. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. Like I said in the introduction, I'm here with Jason Brett, Tyler Lindholm, and uh, gentlemen, this is exciting because there's a lot happening in the policy space. Uh, Jason, we just talked not too long ago, but it seems with uh, Senator Lummis and uh, Gillibrand's new bill that they're proposing here. Um, I mean, it's thick. I have it printed off here. You guys can, you guys know I, I did a little bit of homework before we got into this. This is 69 pages long. And uh, Tyler, welcome to the show. Um, I've listened to quite a few of your interviews through the years, uh, back when you were uh, a, a state representative, and now you're uh, supporting Senator Lummis, and really appreciate you making time to come on the show today. Excited to have you here. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a real pleasure. Um, I've been an admirer of yours from a distance, and uh, I've known Jason, admirer of, uh, of, of his, uh, for, for quite a few years. I've known Jason for quite a while, and we keep bumping into each other at conventions and what have you. And yeah, it's good to be here. Well, Tyler, when you were, when you were in the state Senate, you guys. State house. I'm state sorry, house. the state. Not the, not the penitentiary. I always got to correct myself. <laughs> when I say state house, it sounds like I might be in jail. <laughs> when, when you were at the state level and you guys mm-hmm. were working to pass a lot of this legislation, um, you guys got this utility token act through, you got this digital asset, uh, existing bill through, mm-hmm. and these were, these were kind of landmark, uh, state, uh, legislature uh, bills that, that went through, got approved, got passed. Talk yep. us, talk us through what, like from an architecture standpoint, what you guys had in mind and what it was that you were trying to create there in Wyoming. I think this is a really important part for people to understand what you guys are now doing at a federal level, but give us a little bit of that background. Yeah. So, um, and, and that's a super good question. I love this question because, um, for me, it's about the why, um, like, and I'm a cattle rancher out of Northeast Wyoming. So there's always a lot of people that see me with my big goofy hat and they're like, what the hell, what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> and I get it. I get it. I mean, that's uh, that's Bitcoin though. We come full walks of life. So, um, for me, it was uh, the, it was always always about the why, and for me, it was always economic development. Um, now, granted, I, I first learned about Bitcoin back in 2012 time period, um, and became a little bit involved in 2013. But I mean, right? If you've never been to Wyoming, um, take the opportunity to drive through, and you're going to see nothing but you know beautiful agriculture everywhere and tourism and, and, uh, you know, some mining, some coal mining, some <laughs> old school mining. 
things that we're proud of in Wyoming. We didn't really have a tech field. Um, and it's, we've got this budding one now. And, and, and the big reason why that's important for us in the state of Wyoming and, and why it was such a goal of mine uh, was because we had this great brain drain happening. We've got all these kids that we spend all of this money on in public education um, or what have you. Uh, it went on to community college or, or the University of Wyoming, and we were pouring it on. And it equates over, I mean, if a kid goes K through 12 education in the state of Wyoming, and then they go to the University of Wyoming and pick up a four-year degree there, that's a little over $300,000 invested per student. Uh, and then they leave. So that's a major bummer. That's our best natural resource. I mean, that's it. You've got kids that are, that are growing up with the very foundational ideals um, that Wyoming is all about, you know, liberty, freedom, leave people alone, success, um, respecting the outdoors, respecting each other, all those types of things. And then we got to say goodbye to them because we can't provide them a job or there, there's nothing, um, nothing that can latch onto them or that they find interesting. Uh, so for me, that's what it was all about. And I'm, I'm a father of four. So, you know, some of my kids might not want to be cowboys. And so, what do I tell them? Are you going to move to Colorado? No, I've been to Colorado. That's <laughs> no. <laughs> Nothing against my buddies down in Colorado. They're great down there, but uh, no. So that was, that was the why for me. Yeah. Jason, when you're looking at uh, some of the things that, that have been done there and also at the federal level, what's your take on some of the, maybe some of the groundbreaking parts of it? Yeah. So <clears throat> The, uh, it, it's so great to talk to Tyler too, by the way, at this point in terms of all the policy that's happening. And what I, I hope is it, it was meant to be that he is ending up supporting this bill because what Wyoming did was really break through in terms of working with regulators around the world to help develop this technology. It wasn't just Wyoming doing it on its own. And I think finding a way to uh, perfect the security interests uh, avoid rehypothecation, you know, taking stands with sort of setting up a speedy, um, you know, the special purpose depository institution that would not need, you know, an FDIC or insurance as, as a fallback mechanism, uh, which speaking as a former FDIC regulator, <laughs> that was a little hard to take, but I, I get it, you know. Um, so designing a system where you could have an effective bank specifically for digital assets it kind of created the railways so a Kraken, a Custodia, and others that come in can succeed at the stake banking level. Um, and it was really ingenious because I grew up from the regulator school at the FDIC where there are three kinds of banks in America. You're either regulated by the OCC at the Federal Reserve, I mean, excuse me, regulated at the OCC at the federal level, <clears throat> or the Federal Reserve or FDIC regulates you as a state chartered bank. So to have a state chartered bank where you provide that optionality um, to me was the real win there. Uh, and I also remember um, uh, Tyler's associate from Lummis's office, Christopher Land, when he was going with Al Forkner and they were visiting DC to talk to all the politicians. So they're reaching out, explaining what they're doing so people could you know, handle any concerns. So I, I really think the whole package was there, both on the PR side you know, setting them up to succeed, embedding it within the law, which of course we can't go through this conversation without mentioning Caitlin Long and a lot of her policy to it as well. Um, and, and kind of having now this, this opportunity where banks, uh, you know, neo kind of banks have a home here in the United States. Speaking from a state competitive level, there's no other state that can really compete with that at this point. 
Um, and so they found the right recipe. And again, and in terms of sort of the way they figured out digital assets is either tokens like securities or utilities. That was a framework that, correct me if I'm wrong, Tyler, came, I think, from the, the, Swiss, the Swiss originally. When And so they, you sort of were coordinating with an international body that was sort of on the front lines of this. So you just sort of, to me, you surrounded yourself with all the best and the brightest, all the people that are doing things, but then you made it kind of your own. Yeah, it, it kind of. Um, and actually kind of, a, kind of a fun story about how the the whole utility token bill came about. We call them cons uh, consumptive or consumer tokens at this point uh, because they're, they're a little bit of a bastard child that live between two different worlds, between a commodity or a security. Um, and they're not a neat fit into an existing regulatory structure. The fun story behind that is uh, the first bill that we had drafted, we, we'd done it over the phone um, in coordination between me and Caitlin Long and like Lewis Cohen. Um, and uh, I, I specifically remember this moment because it was it was funny. And I was on the road for work and I was staying at a hotel and it, actually in Sheridan where I am right now. And uh, we were just finishing up and boy, there we, we got that first bill done, guys, great. And uh, everybody said, well, good job. This is October, we got lots of time. And <laughs> I said, well, hell, we got time. I mean, uh, what's, you know, what's another wild one we could do? And uh, I think it was Caitlin. Caitlin brought up, she goes, well, we can always, we can always tackle this utility token thing. And I, I don't know if it was Lewis or, or who else it was on the phone, another attorney said, that's crazy. That, that's nuts. That's too far. And I said, well, hell, that sounds like what we need to do then. Because <laughs> if it's crazy, it's going to get people's attention, right? And uh, we want to do it in, in a manner that does catch their attention. But uh, to Jason's point of what he spoke about earlier, everything that was done was done in a very precise manner, whether whether it was the 100% reserve requirement or the capital requirements or the ability to, to check yourself out of the FDIC or the qualified custodianship requirements, all of those were poured over. Um, and we brought in a lot of a lot of experts and we really went through it. And I look, look at that, look back at that time now on those hours and hours and hours spent drilling down on this issue and, and making kind of weird decisions um, that a lot of people looked at us funny for at the time, but they're not looking at us funny now, considering some of the recent news. And I think that's, that's a telling aspect is we, we do need to think outside of the box when it comes to uh, finance, especially in this space, uh, due to the existing uh, problems that you see in existing finance and how they're bleeding off into um, Bitcoin or digital assets now where we've got these kind of, we've got some real issues cropping up and it's because of existing players, so, in my opinion. So Tyler, are you saying that if Celsius uh, was uh, registered in the state of Wyoming, this would have never happened? Would you go that I, far? I am, I, I'm not going to enter. <laughs> I, I'm not going to go down that. I, I can't, I, I can't entertain that. But um, what I can say is that um, Caitlin Long put it the very best. And I saw a recent post, and I'm sure you guys saw it too, um, where she pointed out there is a huge difference between licensed and regulated. And consumer protection is there for a very, very solid reason. And I've got a very wide libertarian street. And government should only be there to protect um, citizens in, in their pursuit of life, liberties, and pursuit of happiness when they cannot do so for themselves. And in this case, um, I think there's a lot of stuff pointing 
Um, I'm not speaking specifically of Celsius, but there's yeah. a lot of stuff pointing um, pointing in multiple directions that perhaps government has been lax in their job and has been lax uh, in regards to uh, properly protecting or putting consumer protections in place. And that's, you know, when we're looking at Senator Lamas's legislation, I mean, that's that's what it's all about. Do you think that it's that they're that they're lax or they just don't have the bandwidth to handle the sheer speed at which all of this is unfolding and and the I education that, gap? I mean, there's a massive education gap here. Yeah, no, I but boy, I, I mean, here, I and I will I will I will shout this from the rooftops. I'm a cattle rancher from northeast Wyoming. <laughs> <laughs> if I can debate rehypothecation. And I can I, I and I can go to the mat with people on on FinCEN. Yeah, damn the lawyers at SE, at the <laughs> SEC ought to be able to get her done. The Federal Reserve should have already been there. I like that. years ago. I like that, but sir. It's yeah. tough, right? I mean, yeah. how do we how do we get these guys? What what's holding them back? What's what's holding them back from getting on, on the button and, and saying, you know what? There's some folks at risk here. Let's move the ball forward. And so I guess I've always struggled with, with, with the Washington environment. Um, that's why, you know, that's why I work for Senator Lamas and why I respect her so much is because she gets it and she can handle these, these folks in a manner that is far more respectful than I can be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she does a good job. All three of us, but, you know, well, maybe not Jason, <laughs> Got Jason, no, but you know, Preston, what's amazing about this and Tyler, I think was, was so key of what you're saying is, where the markets are and what we've seen with the recent price action and, and some of the companies and what they've been doing, whether whatever the regulatory regime existed or not. Like to me, it's your, what was it? The libertarian uh, state legislature, you're voted by the libertarian party is like the leading libertarian. Mm -hmm. And, and so here you are as a libertarian saying, Hey, a little bit of regulation might be what we need. I, I think that kind of hits the point of like, we're not saying we need massive government, and I don't think this right. bill is about it, but if ever there was screaming from the rooftops that now at the time that we do need some sort of bipartisan leadership bill, whether it's perfect or not, is you need that, you need to have that, you need to have that, and I'm, I'm an ex-regulator, regulators get a bad rap sometimes, but like you can be inventive, you can be creative, uh, but if, you, if you're able to have that prudential regulator relationship with the institution, you actually are almost a consultant to that institution, helping them steer away themselves where they might blow themselves right. up. They always said to me when I went to banks and examined them at the FDIC that they, they were happy to see me there, but then they were happy to see me leave, you know, because it meant <laughs> business, but then get out of their hair, you know. But uh, I think that's it's so interesting to me because, you know, with that libertarian mindset, you'd think, well, why would you want any kind of laws around this stuff? Just let the free market. Well, libertarianism is not anarchism. And right. uh, there's the deal. I think everybody recognizes the fact that theft is wrong. Stealing is wrong. And that's what government should be protecting from is, is ensuring that um, the average U.S. citizen consumer protection. That's a, I think making it's, sure it's they're just, not being stolen from. It's a framework, right? And, and as I went through this bill, the thing that I, that I liked about this is there's a lot of just definitions of what what is this and uh, going through a lot of terminology and technology speak that's out there and trying to frame it in a way that provides a left and right limit for people to understand what it is that they even own and, and from the uh, exchange level, what 
uh, how they're being defined and viewed from a governmental uh, body. And then there's a few spots in here that really kind of call out what you were saying earlier that you did in Wyoming, which is uh, if you're a stable coin, you have to have 100% backing. There's no rehypothecation allowed. Um, I was, I was kind of surprised at the total lack of government, uh, like you're not calling for new bodies of government to be stood up. You, there, there is a little bit there. Not. Yeah. <laughs> at, at all. There is a little bit in here about various studies, but not a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, surprising. I didn't think that there was a whole lot relative to a lot of the other things that you see, uh, come through. And it was, a, it was a lot of definitions, it was a lot of defining things and maybe kind of tweaking the way uh, previous definitions are to to include a lot of this. I was surprised, uh, Tyler, going through it. There's no call out to any of the validation where in a previous bill, uh, Jason, help me with the name of the representative that uh, was proposing something earlier. John um, Byer, maybe? Yes, Byers. He had a lot of... Uh, he got into a lot on the validation of, of a difference between proof of work, proof of stake. You guys don't have any of that in here. I was right. kind of surprised by that. Well, I think, uh, so I, I, I guess as far as uh, first explaining Senator Lummis's mindset when she um, put her staff to work on, on putting this together, I obviously worked with uh, um, Senator Lummis's general counsel, Chris Land, who's just a genius at drafting. He really is. Uh, he got his start in, in, in the state of Wyoming, working at our legislative service office. He's the one that I turned to to draft all of my crazy ideas. And so Senator Lummis swooped him up. And so we worked on this uh, among multiple other people. Um, Jason, we called you. We called everybody under the sun um, that had worked with us in the past. And it was all built on the principle of Senator Lummis's um, guiding kind of star. And that is this, this has to be an enabling legislation. It mm. cannot be disabling. So yes. for instance, you brought up the, the stable coin piece, the stable coin piece uh, specifically calls out for hundred percent reserve and um, banking charters and those types of things. It does not mandate that you go through that. It does not mandate that you become a hundred percent reserve body. Uh, it just provides a regulated path that says, this is safe. This is cozy. And the reason why Senator Lummis did that is she doesn't want to, first of all, there, there are good actors in that space and she doesn't want to cut, you know, she doesn't want to have to force them into a box that they might not want to go to. She wants to provide that opportunity to go down a road that she believes um, is safe and sound for that type of asset and see if they join the party. And if they don't join the party, well, then that's fine too, but it is an enabling only. And this is so important for, in, in my humble opinion, for regulators to understand from an international lens that if you don't approach it that way, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. Like you are not going to compete right. on an international stage. It's just not going to happen. Right. That's absolutely right. Well, and on top of that, I mean, what government is ever going to keep up with technology? I mean, who knows no. what five or 10 years from now looks like? And, and of course, the legislation will be out of date by that point. Um, but by creating that enabling scope or lane to go through, we have opportunities that we didn't have before. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. 
Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Our friends at Coriant provide wealth management services centered around you. Coriant's goal is to exceed your expectations and simplify your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. They are one of the largest integrated fee-only U.S. registered investment advisors, and Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. They have extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. The teams at Coriant put the collective power of their expertise into building you the custom wealth, investment, and family office solutions that can help you reach your holistic financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, speak with an advisor today at Coriant.com. That's spelled C-O-R-I-E-N-T dot com. That's Corient dot com. When Rain Wilson had a great idea, he turned to AT&T Business. They assured him no matter how out there his idea may be, they had his back. So he came up with this, a talking pillow designed to put you to sleep, backed by a reliable network in the only network with built-in security controls. And thus, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your business to the next level at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. All right, back to the show. So here at the beginning, this is page five on the definitions. There's a term here called person who provides digital asset services. And I read this, this label and I immediately thought about myself running a full node and having lightning channels. And I'm thinking, am I one of these people? And so then I read what constitutes it. There's three things here. And I, um, I'm not one of those three things. And I'm right. just kind of thinking to myself, where do I fit here for anybody who's running a node and has, let's just say they have one Bitcoin's worth of channels opened. Are they considered a financial service provider? No. Uh, absolutely not. Um, and and th- there's a reason why you can't find yourself in that bill. <laughs> I like that. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. No. No. Absolutely not. I mean, you're not you're not uh, you know interacting in regards to being a financial institution under yourself. There's no reason that you should ever. I mean, you're operating as a node. You're a network participant. Yeah. It's got really nothing for you. Um, in that legislation, besides the de minimis tax exemption, which is super nice, <laughs> unless wanna, you wanted to. I do want to talk about this. So I had this listed in my notes as, um, what did I refer to this as? Something like the HODL clause. Yeah, here it is. This is under the responsible taxation of dig- digital assets section. And I referred to this as the HODLer clause. And I have this in red. Let me flip to it here. 
deferral of income recognition for digital asset activities. In the case of the taxpayer who conducts digital asset mining or staking activities, the amount of income relating to such activities shall not be included in the gross income of the taxpayer until the taxable year of the disposition of the assets produced or received in connection with the mining or staking activities. So if I mine a bunch of Bitcoin, I pay my electrical bills by selling some of that. I would realize that as income, but for anything else that I didn't uh, turn into, let's call it US dollars to pay my electrical expenses, I won't pay any tax on that until I would use, use it in the future. Yeah, that's yeah, absolutely right. That's the way it ought to be though, right? I mean, I mean, and so I, I, I titled this myself here, the, the huddle clause, because think about that. You are totally incentivizing businesses. Now, now where I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in knowing how does this work for, like if I was a gold miner in the United States, how does that work right now? I would imagine. So, so right now, so this is an important aspect that, it, that, that does need to be taken into consideration. Um, mineral excise and how, how that works is not taken into consideration whatsoever. But as far as um, the sale of those assets, take away mineral excise whatsoever, um, as, as far as the sale of those assets, this just mirrors that. It's the hmm. same as any other type of asset. You're not taxed until you dispose of that asset. Um, and, and so it, it's really just a make sense, sense play. To, yeah. Yeah, it, it seems so logical and it seems like you guys are leaving enough room for the for the whole space to really kind of breathe and become its own, but also making it important like the 100% on the stable coins and in the lending mm-hmm. and just the rehypothecation in general. And I know this has been Caitlin. I mean, Caitlin has been beating this drum for years on how yeah. important this is. And it's almost like nobody even wants to listen. And I don't understand why. Why does, why, honestly, what do you think it is? I think it's because Caitlin's, Caitlin's worked on wall street. She knows where the bodies are buried. No, no, no. I I got that. I'm saying, why does nobody want to listen to it though? Oh yeah. Because it's so much easier to ignore the monster in her closet, pretend that it's not there. But the reality of this monster in your closet is it's going to wreck you. It's not only going to wreck you, it's going to wreck your neighbors. It's going to wreck your mother. It's going to wreck your kids. And, uh, that goes back to the whole, I mean, the whole start of this, to the Satoshi white paper. This is why we're here. Yeah. And if we don't follow those, those, if we don't follow that through and actually keep that in mind while we're, while we're participating, we're doing it for the wrong reasons, in my opinion. I was going to say, I think people sometimes don't listen because it's such an impact on their entrenched interests. Like they hear it. It's right. just, you know, it's funny. Part of the bill um, it, toward the end speaks to that, you know, state banks should be able to have access to the Federal Reserve, like use the ACH and use the wires, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I don't know what look, that's about. What's that? What's that yeah, what could that about? have to do with it? <laughs> now, obviously, we know, you know, I mean, Caitlin Long went ahead and, and, uh, sued the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City and the Federal Reserve I didn't know that, Board, did she? Board, of, Board of Governors. Yeah, I know. It's 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 shocking. Yeah, just just you know, why not? You know, the creature from Jekyll Island take them on. But like, if you think about it, to me, it's it's when the Federal Reserve couldn't make up their mind for over almost two years with deciding whether to give this really important thing of having access simply to a payments mechanism, right? 
and that they took almost two years to do it, it's it's clearly sort of a stonewall situation. And so there's there's these parts of these that, I mean, think about how the opposite that is of the Bitcoin network, right? Like anyone mm-hmm. can have access to it. Whereas here we have, this is, this is sort of defines the problem of when we have a body that's over us that makes all these decisions that can affect and pick winners and losers, you know? Right. Uh, so did you see the uh, the routing number piece in there also, Jason? The routing number came right after, and that was Kraken yeah. got its routing number. I saw that, but I mean, yeah, it's you know, like, like what do you have to do to get a routing number if you're a bank? Is these are we I mean, think of like basic rights, but all of this bill overall is fascinating. And Preston, I told you I had a surprise for you and Tyler on the show, so I want to take this moment to announce oh, to you. Let's hear it. A let's hear really, it. really cool thing for me that I'm super pumped about. So I'm proud to announce on the show for the first time that I am now the policy director of Bitcoin at the Bitcoin Policy Institute. That's BPI. Um, It's uh, going to be, um, it's, you know, David Zell and Grant McCarthy are there, but they they have a website, btcpolicy.org. Michael Saylor was one of the initial donors that's got this project off. The people, there's like 12 different fellows I haven't met everybody yet. Like I just started, but you know, the four main things we're going to be focused on is going to be, you know, national security and geoeconomics, how open monetary networks affect the U S interests at home, uh, financial inclusion and human rights. Um, you know, how these technologies impact that level future of money, you know, just sort of questioning how do various forms of digital money interact and compare kind of like with this bill, looking at all different things, stable coins, and then mining and energy, you know, how does proof of work mining impact the environment power grids, energy independence and renewables. And what I love about this opportunity and the people I'm working with is not just that they're also a lot younger than me, but they're so excited and they're building themselves into that traditional think tank. So there's lots of like, you know, critical thinking that they all go through that I think could lead them to be like maybe the next Brookings institution, but, but, you know, really questioning all sides of it, looking at the proof of stake question and, and all of that and, and looking to have, we want to have debates, you know, in DC, to take on some of the naysayers about Bitcoin too. So I just feel like Bitcoin really hasn't had its own think tank until now. And so when I was offered the opportunity, I took it and I'm, I'm overwhelmed by it. But yeah, I'm really, it's an exciting moment for me to be, Good you know, for you. director of policy. Jason, so. that's Congrats. awesome. That's awesome. Good yeah. for you, man. Thanks. And that's awesome. of course, now that I say that, nothing that I'm going to comment on as Tyler continues about the bill is on behalf of the Bitcoin Policy Institute. Hell, <laughs> <laughs> it isn't. It is now. <laughs> hey, so um, guys, walk us through the timeline timeline of events here, because uh, for a lot of people that aren't familiar with the activities on the Hill, uh, they might see something like this hit and say, "Oh, so when are they voting on that? Like next week?" But there's a big, giant process that's going to pop out of this. Right. So, talk to us about that timeline. Yeah. So the timeline's tough. Uh, because uh, Senator Lemus is, of course, a Republican. She's from the great state of Wyoming, the first woman elected by the state of Wyoming as a U.S. senator. And uh, we're in the minority. The Republicans are in the minority. So we do not set the schedule. Uh, But that's also, um, that is not why, and I I do want to talk about this because I think it's such an important piece. It's definitely not why Senator Lemus um, sought a bipartisan co-sponsor, co-leader right off the bat out of Senator Gillibrand. Um, she thought that because she was terrified that digital assets unto themselves would become uh, hyper-partisan. And that would be 
the absolute worst thing that could happen in this space is it became a partisan only issue mm-hmm. and it would it would just it's not a partisan issue it's it's not a political issue it's it, it's you know i mean we're all we're all true believers here so it's it's one of those things that she really um really hunkered down on that fact and found a found a champ in uh senator Gillibrand. uh but as we as we go forward i mean the bills out there now um there's certain folks on the hill that would love to do a markup tomorrow um, and there's certain folks on the Hill that would like to never see a markup on that bill. So there's going to be a little bit of push and pull that happens. I mean, we're still hopeful that we can get it in committee for a markup before the end of the year and maybe even see some action as far as individual components of the legislation. Um, but uh, chances are, if I was a betting man, I'd say uh, Senator Lummis is refiling in January. Okay. But there's always a chance. She's She's got some great friends on the Hill, so... So let's just play devil's advocate and say that that's what happens. Walk us through what that path would would lead to, assuming that that would play out. Sure. Well, so it, it, this is kind of an interesting aspect is because because the legislation does have so many different components to it mm-hmm. um, that land in different committees. So the commodities portion would go to the agricultural committee. Mm. Um, Senator Gillibrand sits on that, which is handy. The securities portion would go to the banking committee. Fortunately, Senator Lemus sits on that. Um, the taxation piece would go to the finance committee and that finance committee, um, she's got a great friend and chairman Wyden, uh, but either way. So that portion would, would necessarily, I mean, not mandatorily, but should go there. Um, and then the, uh, the commerce, the commerce portion of the legislation would be essentially everything else. The cybersecurity portion, those types of things would have to get picked up over there. Um, so a lot of different moving pieces as it moves forward. Um, if it makes it through, um, whatever committee it's assigned to, whether it's all four of those or, or what have you, um, at that point, it would, it would go to the floor, you know, and there's lots of different opportunities, um, as far as motions that could be made from the floor. So there's, there's some fun that can be had before the end of the year. So Jason, on behalf of btcpolicy.org, I want to hear your... <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I love it. Um, you know, I was thinking about the fact that, like, um, you know, all the ways the bill might get to be reviewed, and I agree, really, with the assessment. We're not. We're gonna have to wait till January. And while we never want anything to be like one partisan way or the other, I do think we're gonna see a Republican Senate have a majority after this election, and probably in the House too. And that's going to help it a little bit along as far as, you know, maybe that's not perfect, but I don't know that you're necessarily going to have the champions you need of who's running the show right now versus in six months. But that being said, you know, you'd like to think that like what Celsius, Terra Luna, like, like how much pain do we all need to go through for someone to say, Hey, why don't we get some kind of bill out there that's going to at least lay a framework. Maybe it's not perfect. And I mean, really, God, God bless you, Tyler, because I mean, you picked up writing this bill right after the infrastructure package, when suddenly it wasn't just me and maybe six other lobbyists that cared about this space, but everybody. Well, the well, to be fair, we, we were actually writing the bill before the infrastructure package. Fair so enough, Sen- fair. Sen- Senator Lamos was ready to ride her on this thing oh. from day one. And oh. uh the infrastructure package was a double-edged sword. Obviously, we don't like the text that uh, eventually went into law. 
Um, and there's a piece in this um, Senator Lemos's bill that fixes that um, from one of her colleagues over on the House side. But ultimately, it got got a lot of people looking at, at uh, that policy matters. Well, yeah, no, and I just meant Tyler that like the now that it's in introduced, there's at least from the papers, there's so much lobbying attention in the space right. that of course everybody wants their own little piece or wants to change it now and 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 that that's i mean there's a lot of lobbying pressure i think in general in the spaces yeah so. yeah how would you say that it's been received so far i'd, I'd say largely um pretty pretty good you know we, we we honestly we didn't know um as much as we talked to everybody and their dog i mean like honestly senator lomas she made sure we were scouring um, and we've talked to a lot of folks and there might be some folks that are watching this right now. And they're like, well, you didn't call me. Well, phones work both ways. <laughs> 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 uh, but honestly, it was, it was, it was, it was really, it was great. You know, I mean, there's a couple of naysayers out there. Um, but I also think that they're naysayers based on, um, not completely understanding what the bill does. Um, now, for instance, uh, there's a lot of folks there saying, you know, how dare you define any asset as a security. Well, listen, if you walk like a duck and talk like a duck, you're a duck. I'm sorry. There it is. Um, but also on that point, that's not a bad, that's not, that's not the end of the world. It's actually a good thing because the reality of the situation is you'll now have the ability to move your project forward and actually get a response from the SEC and actually be able to file your Reg A or your Reg B or whatever. I mean, you can't do that right now. You can move your project forward. There's no more gray space. And so, um, yeah. So I guess that went down a different road and I apologize for that. <laughs> no, not at all. I, I, I think that it fits with what Sailor is recommending. Is is uh, He thinks that some type of regulatory clarity is going to help everything move forward. Yes. Um, but Jason, did you have something you wanted to add on on that last one? It looked like you might have to say oh, something there. Yeah, no, just it, it to me. I mean, I, I'd love to hear Tyler sort of where where Lummis came from. She first said she kind of wanted to do this, and then and what it turned into, and her leadership. Because Preston, you know, kind of kicking myself because. I think we have to remind ourselves, did we ever think we'd have a U.S. senator who was like a Bitcoiner who believed in it, who's <laughs> actually introducing bipartisan legislation, yeah. like leading the space? It's it's pretty it's pretty historic, you know. Well, so uh, for Senator Lamas, I mean, she she's old school. I mean, she first got involved in Bitcoin uh, back in 2013. Her, her son-in-law, Will Cole, um, who's kind of a legend in the space unto himself, um, got his mother-in-law involved. Uh, and explain the economics behind it. But for Senator Lummis, she's not your average, not your average cat, or neither is she your average mother-in-law. Um, so she had a prior history of being the state treasurer for the state of Wyoming for, for eight, she did that for eight years. And before that, she was in the state legislature, both the state house and the state Senate. And so in 2013, she was in the U.S. house. And so she's, got this, all this vast experience of dealing with budgets. And she was on the appropriations committee when she was in the U.S. House and did all these things. But the most important experience, the way she tells it, is when she was a state treasurer and she was always looking for that um, good store of value for Wyoming's investments. And so when she was introduced to Bitcoin, um, that really was the hook. And then fast forward a couple of years later, uh, there was this weird 
northeastern Wyoming rancher that was starting to run um, these types of bills. And so for her, um, when she went into the U.S. Senate, it was a natural hook um, to be able to continue riding for the brand, riding for Wyoming, which is what, you know, I mean, that, that lady lives and breathes it. Uh, but also on top of that, to protect state interests, uh, because this is clearly a state interest at this point. Hey, um, how what has been the scuttlebutt on the Hill with respect to the Luna implosion? Well, I think, you know, the biggest thing that folks are talking about and watching on this on this whole scenario is the consumer protection angle. Is there are there funds being moved in a manner that is essentially theft. I, and I don't know, I'm not saying that they are, mm-hmm. um, but that's, that's, that's where everybody's watching right now. And it's kind of a terrifying aspect. I mean, as we, as we explore these different technologies, just like the dot-com era, there's going to be winners and there's going to be losers. There's going to be stuff that works and there's going to be stuff that fails. And in this situation, it's, well, it is fascinating to watch. It's also really pushing the envelope on why, why this needs to be moved forward quickly, why the responsible um, uh, financial innovation act needs to need some wheels on it because it, it would handle situations like this. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. If you're looking for the right franchise concept at the right time, an iFlex Stretch Studio franchise is the business for you. iFlex is the newest franchise concept from the founders of the Joint Chiropractic. With over 200 licenses already awarded to our regional developers, there's never been a better time to own an iFlex franchise in your market. An iFlex Stretch Studio franchise offers its clients the best in professional-assisted stretching for one affordable price in one beautiful location. Even the Mayo Clinic says stretching can increase flexibility and improve your joint's range of motion, helping you move more freely. Prime regional developer opportunities and franchise locations are going fast. Don't miss this opportunity to get into this rapidly growing health and wellness business from the founders of The Joint Chiropractic. Find out more today. Call 888-994-3500. 539 or visit iflexpodcast.com. Call right now, 888-994-3539 or visit iflexpodcast.com. Kyle, you're connected with a ton of different investors and portfolio managers, and you're just really in the know on a lot of these things. How do you keep up with all the day-to-day headlines for your portfolio companies? Yeah, so I used to have a ton of issues with this, and that was until I started using Yahoo Finance. Really? What's so great about it? So Yahoo Finance is awesome. I have my whole portfolio entered and I can easily see all the top headlines to keep up with the recent news. And each day you get an overview of the major global events that might be moving the market. So I'm ready to easily pounce on any opportunities that come my way. What else can you do on Yahoo Finance's platform? They also have a number of cool features, including a tool that lets you link all of your investment accounts, analyst ratings, and independent research, as well as the ability to create customized charts. Well, now I know that the audience is really going to love this one. And I actually see they have 90 million monthly active users. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. As many of you know, I love studying businesses and networking with business owners. The more I've studied businesses, the more I've realized that starting and scaling your business is easier than ever because of companies like Shopify. 
Did you know that Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S.? Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify even helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. What I personally love about Shopify is that it's the turnkey solution to kickstart and grow your business, and they are totally committed to giving you the necessary tools to succeed as a business owner. Plus, they have an award-winning customer support team there to help you every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash WSB. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash WSB now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash WSB. All right, back to the show. So uh, kind of in this this general topic area, uh, page 27 in the bill under the responsible consumer protection section, it's talking about trading and it says in general, a registered digital asset exchange may make available for trading any digital asset that is not readily accessible to manipulation subject to its subsections. And when I read this, I immediately thought of NFTs. And you're, you've seen, I think, just in the past month where uh, there's been a couple of people that have been rolled up with respect to uh, how they were listing NFT pictures on their exchange. And when you're dealing with something that has su- such low volume and uh, so much marketing in order to kind of s- spin the price in a direction, I mean, you could list this on one of these big pages on the, on the, on the front page and totally front run some of this stuff. So when I'm thinking about this in this terminology with digital asset, which I suspect an NFT fits in that in that category, is not readily accessible to manipulation. Right? How how are they going to get around something like that as an exchange? I'm th- I'm looking at these big exchanges and I'm saying how are they going to continue to be able to list NFTs based on how that's phrased in this bill? I think it. I think it's got a lot to do with um, decentralization, um, whether that's NFTs or any old digital asset. It's got a lot to do with the fact that can this can this asset be manipulated? Could somebody nosedive it on onto themselves? Can somebody flip a quarter of it or even an eighth of it onto themselves and either crash or pump the market? And that's that's really um, where you're going to see some, you know. We, it, it, it's it's gonna it's gonna take some fleshing out um, to be certain, but I would suspect that people should look at decentralization of assets um, long before they invest unto themselves as an individual and or if they are an exchange. I, I think a lot of the bigger ones do necessitate that. Um, some of those bigger guys are definitely more, um, you know, they're a little bit safer. They they have, and I'm not saying the bigger ones are always better, but they also do do a pretty good job of digging down on these um, new assets as they come about and figuring out where they are and how they've been issued. Jason, any of your thoughts on that one? 
Well, I think that I agree with the notion that like we could have avoid this if an agency like the CFTC um, wasn't actually had the leadership and the authority within it by this bill to actually start regulating, you know, not readily susceptible manipulation is the whole point. I think of why we want regulation of the spot markets. It's been pointed out even by one of the previous commissioners uh, of the CFTC, the CFTC is not walking the beat right now. They're not like the cop on the beat. They're, their main focus is on the derivatives and they're more like the house inspector, you know, that comes by once every few months. And if they are doing some sort of, uh, you know, um, action against like Tether or Coinbase, it's, it's, it means there's something really bad happened, right? So what this is going to enable is, and there'll have to be that, that reconciliation, right? It won't be perfect necessarily, but what, what you have to understand is by actually having somebody there on a day-to-day basis, the way you sort of have the bank regulators, you know, reviewing what's happening, that's where I do really agree. And I think this will help stop these types of issues. And, and if it's readily susceptible to manipulation, you know, changing transaction history and everything, that's sort of what we live in now, right? Uh-huh. So you're going to need to have the products are going to need to adapt for those that choose this CFTC regulatory environment. And what I think you'll find is once we get this authority over to the CFTC, you're then going to see people who want are just honest, you know, they want to trade, they want to buy some NFTs, they want to buy some digital assets. They're going to gra- gravitate toward what they know is a regulated exchange because they're going to know that they're going to be treated fairly and it's going to be safe, similar to the way we have, you know, the stock exchange today. I think a, a huge uh, language and definition in this bill uh, comes in the responsibility payment innovation section that we were talking about earlier on page 44. Um, there's a section 4810 called issuance of payment stable coins. And here's what it says. A depository institution may, it goes to the language, the the phraseology you were using earlier there, Tyler. A depository institution may issue, redeem, and conduct all incidental activities relating to payment stable coins. So this is basically saying JP Morgan, Fidelity, you name it. These these entities can now create their own stable coins without any type of fear or retribution from the, the federal government. And they can use these to clear and conduct transactions, and and it also goes into the the next section B where they say those, those big boys would have to change their model a little, little bit though if they were to go down this route and decide to issue a stable stable coin, they would have to change their existing model on how they handle assets comparatively from a risk standpoint because it clears immediately. Is that where you're going? Well, no, I mean, not only as a risk standpoint, but also, I mean, they would be held under the same scrutiny as anybody else issuing a stable coin um, in that regulated path, which would be, they would have to be 100% reserved. Yes. And that's what you get into in the, in the second part B here, required payment stable mm-hmm. coin assets. And then it says 100% of the face amount of the liabilities of the institution on payment stable coins issued by the institution. So... um because right now they're all fractional reserve is, is I think where you're going with this. But as far as what would be partitioned that would be issued as a stable coin, if that's got a hundred percent backing and then you still have the other part that's fractional reserve right. is, would they still fit the, the description here? Or, or do you think that that is something that 
it would have to almost be like a operational subsidiary underneath of the bank that just handles the stable coins. I think it, yeah, I think it would have to be. Um, and then also on, t- uh, on, on, you know, undoing that a little bit as far as their risk management moving forward, it would, it would require some of these bigger dogs to really have to hunker down with, um, <laughs> their books and figure out if it is even feasible for them. Um, I think probably enough, enough push they could get there. So they just buy you. So they just buy USDC and they buy mm-hmm. tether. Is that really the play? I mean, they, they certainly could, but they would have to be hundred percent reserved. And I mean, USDC unto itself, I believe is 35 billion. Wow. This is getting fascinating. This this whole space, I mean the speed at which this is moving, but this is this terminology here is so important for them to know and to realize kind of where they stand and where they can operate from a legal framework. Right. Um, well, there's also there's also a really good piece in there um, that speaks to MTLs, money transmitter licenses. Um, and and basically Senator Lemma is saying, "Hey, this that's cool too." Uh, because what these MTL operators have done uh, circle, for example, they've gone state by state and, 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 and become regulated in each and every state. Now, 49 out of 50 states have an MTL. Uh, Montana does not. Uh, the District of Columbia does. So they've essentially got 50 out of 51 um, licenses in place where they've got to put down capital, where they've got to bond themselves, where they've got to report back. And so that's a definite different route uh, to go. I wouldn't say that it's easier, <laughs> um, but it's a different route. And that's something that Senator Lemus recognizes in the bill also. Well, uh, I had trouble finding a, a lot of the discussions around decentralized exchanges. What's what's the general take with decentralized general exchanges? Take, yeah, general take on DeFi is there's really, I mean, that's peer-to-peer. Uh, so there's not a lot there's not a, a, a lot essentially known at this point as far as what that would even look like. Does it need to be? I think there's cases where you can make that where you can make that point. And so there's there's actually a study piece in there. Um, and I hate to point out studies because studies are non-actionable items, but at least we can learn some more. So there's a study the, there's a study piece in there as far as um, really. I mean, we obviously make the case for self custody and how it's none of the government's business. Um, in the legislation, but we also point out in that DeFi study, uh, study study piece about the importance of and why that might be a route to look at as far as supporting in the future uh, that self-custody piece under DeFi. How do you see taxes evolving 10 years from now? In your humble opinion, are, are we just going further downstream to the to the transactional level instead of being able to peer into the the rails where the the larger balancing is taking place? And if you spend a lot of money, then you're going to be paying a lot of taxes on whatever luxury goods or whatever, and that's kind of where we have to to push the taxation pieces down to the to the transaction. But. Uh, I, I guess as far as a federalist standpoint, I, w- I would certainly appreciate more, or not more taxes, but uh, more of a focus on um, on the sales aspect because that only goes to states. And I'm I'm here for that. Starve the beast. Starve the Fed. <laughs> no, that's horrible. Um, but I mean, the, the reality of the situation is when it comes down to capital gains and income, 
in the U in the United States and how we look at those different things. I mean, boy, did we ever, boy, did we ever get this deal wrong? I mean, even look at the accounting um, screw up that is that Senator Lamas is fixing in this bill also. Uh, so that accounting piece in there, oh, the IRS yeah. on the capital yeah. gains piece and and how it's getting, yeah. it's depreciative. Yeah, they're they're essentially saying Bitcoin's a pickup truck. Yeah, that you're always going to lose money on it. <laughs> Even though we've got a, a solid 10 years, over 10 years of history proving otherwise. And so that was a little bit of a screw up. And I don't think the IRS is going to be too squeaky about fixing that. Um, but on the taxation piece uh, evolving down down the line over the next 10 years, I actually think that cap per transaction, I think you're going to grow. I, I think you're going to see that grow. Um, I hope we don't see an annual cap put in. Senator Lamas was pretty excited about not having an annual cap put in place. That way, if you wanted to transact solely um, in digital assets, why should you pay capital gains? That, that's silly. Um, if you're using, utilizing it as a currency. Yeah. Hey, uh, the last question I got for you relates to competition between states. So um, whenever I think of which states are kind of leading the charge in this entire space, obviously Wyoming, Texas, Florida, um, how do you how do you think about this, Tyler? I think it's uh, it, this is one of the few times in my life I felt like the um, the nerdy kid in class that some jock is looking over his shoulder during a test. <laughs> I feel like Texas is looking over Wyoming's shoulder, and <laughs> oh, that's actually competition is fantastic. I think con- competition, in fact, the entire digital asset space, Bitcoiners, everybody should be fist pumping over the fact that states are competing for their business because that's mm-hmm. essentially what they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and when states come out with bad policy, vote with your feet. Take yeah. your business to states that support you. Mm-hmm. God help us, guys. If you want to see, I mean, so this would be the plea for industry. If you want to see continued action and supporting your industry and seeing your industry grow, you've got you've to pick up your bags, man. Yeah. You got to You got to go. You got it. You got to get out of there. When bad, bad policy comes about, exit, exit stage left and go to go to to a jurisdiction that supports you, whether that's Texas or an even better place, Wyoming. Um, you know, those guys will welcome you with open arms. And on top of that, our, our power is pretty cheap. So that's good, too. Jason, you got any uh, closing thoughts or things that you want to highlight? Yeah, I, I would just say, you know, it's interesting. We go back to the idea of sort of what the Federal Reserve could access to accounts and the banking and, and, and sort of like the juxtaposition of all the options and you could opt into the stable coin, you can opt into the CFTC. But the one thing that we're seeing is sort of a challenge now where the federal regulators are starting to throw things out, like SEC put out an accounting bulletin 121. It's a question of whether banks might start to adopt this concept that just because custody is really complicated, you start to custody a billion dollars of Bitcoin. That means you have to have a billion dollars of a liability, you know, on your balance sheet. And then what's good about this bill is it starts to talk about creating the standards for digital asset custody. Uh, and that's really what's needed. And I think at the end of the day, the net positive of a bill like this is we have something to work with, right? And I think that everyone agrees that, you know, things may change along the way, but if we at least have a place to say, yes, you know, let's, let's for once really promote the economy of 
you know, the Bitcoin miners, you know, don't make them just sell it right away. You know, they can sell it when they want to. The $200 is something I think for a long time has been said, any kind of just very, you know, small de minimis amount, um, just to allow people to start using, you know, Bitcoin in a way where it's just not always a taxable event. Um, you know, we have to make some reasonable choices here. And I think the bill starts that discussion. And, and a big bill like this doesn't necessarily have to pass this session to be successful. This is this is the start of, of what I hope becomes eventually the law of the land. Fantastic. Uh, Tyler, uh, Jason, guys, thank you so much for making time and coming on the show today. I'm going to throw it over to each of you guys to kind of give a handoff to maybe your Twitter feed or anything else you guys want to highlight uh, on the way out. So, Tyler, go ahead. Yeah, so um, I've obviously worked for Senator Lummis. So everybody go check out lummis.senate.gov. You pronounce it Lummis, not Loomis. Lummis like hummus. Uh, so check that out. Um, and obviously check out uh, Senator Lummis's Twitter. Uh, you can follow my Twitter also, although I will note on my Twitter that um, retweets and et cetera, are, are my own, not Senator Lemus's. So please don't take anything I say as coming from Senator Lemus, especially when I'm shit talking Jason on Twitter. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. Uh, no, that's it for me. Thank you, Jason. Well, yeah. So, you know, at, at regulatory Jason on Twitter is where you can follow me and, and thoughts I have. And, you know, I told you the last show, Preston, I was working on a place or a website where I could put you know, uh, a list of all the different bills and their impact on Bitcoin and regulations. So now we have that where I actually now work at btcpolicy.org. But I'm, again, really excited about um, the uh, Bitcoin Policy Institute, uh, BPI, and um, I'll be their director of policy. You can follow me on their website as well. So again, that's um, btcpolicy.org and looking forward to just continuing to engage a lot of thought leaders in the space and discuss this, this fascinating world. Guys, thank you so much. That was a blast talking some of this stuff. So thank you for your time. Yeah. Thanks for doing it. Preston. Really appreciate you. If you guys enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. Just search for We Study Billionaires. The Bitcoin specific shows come out every Wednesday, and I'd love to have you as a regular listener. If you enjoyed the show or you learned something new or you found it valuable, if you can leave a review, we would really appreciate that. And it's something that helps others find the interview in the search algorithm. So anything you can do to help out with a review, we would just greatly appreciate. And with that, thanks for listening and I'll catch you again next week. Thank you for listening to TIP. To access our show notes, courses or forums, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.